Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to Zolly's Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. All right, James, we are into 2021. It's the first leaf report of the year. How are you feeling? Do you feel re-energized? Good, good riddance, 2020. See you later. It was a great year. Smell you, smell you later, 2020. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, when you get, uh, I, got, I had two weeks off, which is the most time off I had for 2020, just because it was such a weird year. But uh, two weeks off when you have a five and a two-year-old in your house is not the same as two weeks off um, when you don't. So <laughs> mm-hmm. by, the, by the end of it, I'm ready to come back to work because it's more restful to be at work. So, But, you know, it was nice. It was nice. You know, Christmas at least was nice. And hopefully the people listening, hopefully you were able to get at least a little bit of a sense of normalcy. And it's, it's tough. You know, my parents are obviously really far away and having to do Christmas and everything on a zoom call it's not the same so like i said good riddance 2020 hopefully 2021 you know it it really it makes you kind of appreciate all of those things so much that i think when they come back it's you know that that's that's i think the positive way you have to look at it is that you know when i can't see my parents again and when people can you know when my kids can start doing things that they normally do like go to the library or see their friends or whatever then you know i think everyone will appreciate all those things a lot more well and and i can tell you and i know you feel the same way like even just training camp is not normal this year obviously it's starting in january it's we're not allowed in to watch there's no games but like you even feel like a sense of appreciation just to have some sense of like normalcy back in our jobs like in covering the team and they're there's lots going on and it's interesting. Like, it's just been nice to have that back. So let's yeah. get into, I, I yeah, was going to, I was going to say off the top that it, I, maybe people don't appreciate uh, how different it is trying to like, one of the things I found really interesting when I started being around the team on an everyday basis is uh, people's ability to watch 
you know, practice and, and to go in the dressing room and get really interesting things. And, you know, some of the people in the media have a real talent for it. Like, you know, you're really, when you watch practice, you watch extremely closely and you're really good at picking out, you know, different uh, line combinations and, and when the coach changes things and when they're running a different power play system or whatever. And when you can't go into the rink and watch what they're doing, you feel really kind of like you can only do a certain percentage of your job. Like you can only do like 75% of your job or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it, you're, you're right. Like I'm glad that it's back and there's like all of this buzz around it and everything, but we're not there. Like we can't see any of it. So um, it'll be better when the games get going and we can watch some more of that. And I, I hopefully we can be at the morning skates and we can see some more things um, at the morning skates. But right now it's, it's still kind of like, we're not, we're relying on the team for what the line combinations are. And it's not, uh, we're, we're not really seeing anything that they're working on. So um, that's, that's the reality. And everyone's in a, everyone, everyone's obviously in a, in a new reality with the way that things are, but um, just so that people don't think that we're like sitting there watching the players like we normally are. I don't want people to get that impression because that's not what's happening right now. And while there were most of the athletics reporters on most teams were at training camp and in the building, that hasn't happened so far with uh, with the Leafs. Well, and let's be clear, that's because of some of the regulations and such in Ontario, which are completely understandable right now. Uh, I do want to talk about some of what's gone on so far. Joe Thornton playing with Matthews and Marner. Uh, I want to get into what, what Kyle Dubas talked about on the first day of camp, and you wrote about that. I if anybody hasn't gone and read that, they should absolutely check that out. Um, and we'll get into the competition on defense. We'll look at the newly constructed third line. But to your point, like on that, you just even go back to like the bubble camp in July. You could watch, like, and I did, and you did, Nick Robertson trying to find his way at that camp. You could see Pierre Engvall struggling, and you could kind of see the wheels shifting for Engvall to fall down and for Robertson to climb up. And so like that part of it, we're going to be without. And and honestly, like this is going to be harder for Sheldon Keefe to, to make evaluations because camp's like just barely over a week and there's going to be a couple scrimmages. There's no preseason games. So like they're even hamstrung by what they're able to do. And like, we've seen them break the, the roster up into two groups one is very, very clearly NHL, and the rest are like Marlies and, and some guys who hope to play in the NHL this year. Um, so, so even for them, it's interesting. But let's let's talk. Well, a little I mean, bit basically, about, Jonas, like the roster is decided, right? Like it basically. The I don't they, think that's totally true. I think like, it's like ninety-five percent decided. A lot of the guys have been around and skating. Some of the guys have been skating for months and months and months. Um, you know, Thornton was skating with Matthews and Marner for a while. Like this one today wasn't the first day that they were together out there. And I mean, they've been, they've been working on some of the mm -hmm. stuff and looking at some of the stuff for, for a little while. So, um, but that's not the same thing as a camp. Like, and so it's, they're going to start with Miko Lettinen, for example, on their, their third pair with Zach Bogosian. They may see as camp goes on that like the pace is too much or the physicality or that he needs more time. And they could even Travis just Dermott put Dermott really in there well. tomorrow, right? Like they could just, yes, they could, they could exactly. change those around as. Exactly. They may want to see Dermot on the right side tomorrow. I mean, who knows? I mean. Yes. 
But th- you're right, though. There's not a, as much time as there normally is to experiment or try different things or, you know, get some exhibition games. And, you know, if you're a guy who's trying to, if you're a Joey Anderson or someone that's trying to prove that you belong to be on a higher rung in the lineup, it's going to be awfully hard to prove that. Well, so let's talk about like one experiment, clearly. Um, is Joe Thornton playing with, with Matthews and Marner? Um, I don't think it's a, a total surprise. I mean, when they signed Thornton, it was something like I even think I tossed in the story, but I thought about it more like there are going to be shifts throughout the game or stretches throughout a game where he's going to play with those guys or he'll play with Tavares or, you know, like they'll just move him up. I'm curious to see how this works. um, If it's going to be like a sustained kind of thing. And and it, it kind of feels like that's the plan because they want to create this, this kind of defensive line um, and, and Thornton kind of needs to be up with those guys. What was your, or what is your impression of Thornton playing with Matthews and Marner? I, I, I think it's a fine idea. I think what you'll see is obviously Thornton can't play as many minutes as, as Matthews and Marner. So I think what you'll see mm-hmm. is that potentially in defensive situations or late in games when they're holding a lead or, you know, that maybe what you'll see is, is Hyman or another winger will be flipped onto that line. Um, you know, maybe they even load up the line again and they get Tavares out there like they did in the playoffs once in a while when they, if they need a goal, like they, I could see them, mm-hmm. you know, throwing some different looks at it. Um, as you had in your story, Joe Thornton, the last couple of years has averaged about 13 minutes and change at even strength. Uh, whereas, you know, Matthews Marner are more like 17 ish, right? So that, you know, there's going to be an extra four or so minutes where they're going to have to get a different winger on that line. But, you know, in the course of a game, that shouldn't be that difficult. And, um, but it was interesting, you know, you asked, I think it was you asked Sheldon Keefe today about, um, the different line combinations and, and, and specifically that quote unquote third line with, uh, Hyman, Kerfoot and Mikheyev, um, kind of what the thinking was behind that. And the way that Sheldon Keefe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way I interpreted what Sheldon Keefe said was they wanted that third line, that defensive unit to exist. So that yes. meant that they had to put someone with Matthews and Marner that wasn't, you know, Hyman. And they had to put someone with Tavares and Nylander that wasn't Kerfoot, even though those yes. were lines that were really effective last year. So the impetus for changing the top two lines, and I, I here's the way I think about it. Matthews and Marner are probably going to produce with whoever. Like you could put, mm-hmm. this is not, this is not a comment. You could on, play there. <laughs> no one, no one wants to see that. Um, I, I was going to say you could put an old boot there and, and Matthews and Marner would produce, which is like, I'm not calling Joe Thorne an old boot. Like he's obviously, he's got a lot of ability, but like, if you think about it in terms of like diversifying your lineup and getting, you know, more depth throughout your lineup, if you can play a guy who, you know, makes a million or 2 million and get a lot more out of him by playing with two of your better players and you can do that twice over by putting Jimmy VC with Tavares and Nylander. And then you get a much better third line. Because if you don't do that, like if you put Mikhail on the second line and you put uh, Hyman on the first line, then all of a sudden your third line, like that's one of the things we've been looking at over the last couple of months when we've been talking about the different free agents that they brought in and everything is, do they have enough on the third and fourth line? Like, is, is there going to be enough juice there? Is there, Are they going to get enough offense from that? Is it going to be, well, if you change it up and you move some quote unquote weaker players to the first and the second line with with uh, with Matthews and uh, and Tavares, 
you know, all of a sudden your third line gets better. And you know, I think what they're thinking, and it's interesting that Manny Malhotra is one of the assistant coaches because, you know, he was famous when when he played for being, you know, the one of the stars of the, one of those checking lines. I think the thinking is they want to build another line that they can count on to play against McDavid or Elias Pettersson or, I mean, name another top line they're going to see this year. Patrick Laine, uh, uh Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Matthew Kachuk. You know, yeah. they want to have another line they can trust in the defensive zone against those. And one of the things that Sheldon Keefe said today, and I'm sure this is in the story that you, I haven't seen the story that, that you're going to have published uh, on Tuesday yet. But um, one of the things that Sheldon Keefe said that it was interesting is that they started using uh, Alex Kerfoot in more of a defensive role by getting him on the penalty kill. And he played really, really well there on the penalty kill. And I don't think he had killed that many penalties. I, he hadn't uh, at all. Right. Since like. I don't know, junior or something. College. Right. So he hadn't really, but he's a, he's a smart, he's not a big guy, but he's a smart player. He's fast. He's kind of crafty. And Keith said, you know, they, they thought about it and they're like, maybe he can be, uh, one of the things I would worry about with Kerfoot is that you put him in a defensive role. Um, maybe he gets out muscled against, uh, uh, you get out muscled against a bigger center. There was some of that going on in the Columbus series from, from Kerfoot that um, he wasn't as much of a factor, but mm-hmm. You know, maybe, or maybe you're going to use that line against like secondary competition and you feel like, you know, I I think it's really interesting because they haven't really had a line like that that's more defense oriented. And the thing too is that Mikheyev and and, and Hyman and and Kerfoot, they can all skate and they can all produce offensively too. Like, it's not like that line is going to be like a black hole. It's not like they're going to be just like a a Paul Gostad, you know, defense only. Like they're going to be able to they're going to be able to push some of those top lines and make them play in the D zone a little bit more. So I, I think that if if it works, then it might look really, really smart because you might end up with three good lines instead of two really good lines and a third and a fourth line you don't feel very good about. Well, you raise a lot of good points. I think I'm a little – I need to see it with the offense from those three together. Um, because like you look at Mikheyev, you look at Hyman, they're kind of they're, – they're more passengers – um, well, we'll, we'll see. They can generate on their. Well, Mikheyev can generate on his own. Like, think about all the plays. I think that needs to be that needs to be determined. Like, well, I don't, I don't a lot think of the goals he was scoring, that. he was like zooming in on his own and like beating out a defender and like getting. Yeah. You know. Yeah, maybe. But but what they don't have, you know, Kerfoot's a really good playmaker and a good setup guy, and Mikheyev and Hyman are not the greatest of shooters. Like they, no, they get their goals. But so that's what. From in tight, so yeah. I, I guess they're going to get some as uh, as Babcock would call them greasy goals. I get you know maybe yeah love the greasy goals, but but to that point, um, the line kind of reminds me of what Tampa had last mm-hmm. year with Goudreau, Coleman, and Gord, and that was just like a line that that was kind of greasy, exactly as you're talking about. And they put against you know they put against tough competition. Um, and you know what, James, like to your point about Kerfoot that, that Keith was talking about using him on the penalty kill in the second half of the year and that kind of like unlocking more of what they thought of him defensively, that is like testament to why you try things. Like it's another really good example of why experimenting is good because like suddenly you play around with Kerfoot on the PK and you're like, oh man, this guy is actually better defensively than we thought. And it's a reminder of like why you don't pigeonhole players and why you maybe need to be careful. This was like 
a problem with Mike Babcock. He would make his mind up about a guy really quickly. And in a lot of cases, he was right. But in a lot of cases, he like boxed himself in to what a player was. Well, and then when and things Kerfoot weren't working. was an example of that. Then when yeah, things weren't there's nothing to do. They kept doing it over and over. You know, like they get in the playoff. Anyway, we shouldn't. No, but people so, don't like so this those box like, down memory lane. But yeah, you know, okay, like, but yeah, but the point is, like, this is why that's a strength of Sheldon Keith's that he's willing to try things because, like, it 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 opens up worlds that you didn't know exist. So I'll be curious to see if this line sticks, if this line works. But let's like look a little bit more that, at that Thornton possibility. One thing, like, that I was thinking about when I wrote I wrote after the first day of camp about the line is it does make me think about Marner's place there because suddenly you've added another guy who's going to have the puck. And last year we kind of felt like Marner didn't have the puck as much. And like it just didn't feel like his impact was as pronounced as it was in the past. Well, he's so good on the zone entries, right? Yeah, yeah like his zone entries were down because Matthews traditionally is like is motoring into the zone through the middle. So, like, I do wonder what this does for Marner. Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but I, I, I'm i curious about that aspect of it. The, I saw, I think there were some people in the comments on your story that were saying maybe Nylander makes more sense there just because, you know, he's more yeah. of a shot threat. But I think that, I, th- I think what they want to have, I thought, my understanding of what's going to happen is they want that line to be very good defensively too. Like they want, they want that Matthews and Marner. That's part of what they like about Marner is not that Neilanders yeah. bad defensively, but they want to have like someone who's really um, can execute on what they're trying to do and be really aggressive on the wall and all those kinds of things. Oh, and he's and, an awesome back checker. Right. Right. And Matthews has come so far in his defensive game that like that could, that's yeah. that line's a real handful. So I think what they're doing is they're thinking, okay, let's. What's the best case scenario in terms of our lineup? And the best case scenario is that you have that third line that can be a real pain in the ass for a team to play against, and then you've got two really good scoring lines, and mm-hmm. you can just be very, very difficult to match up against and very, very hard to handle. And you can maximize the value of a Thornton and a VC, and you're not counting on those guys to drive lines because they're playing with such good players. And that, uh, so I think it makes sense. I think I. I if I was them, I would see how this looks through five, six, seven games before moving on to something else. You know, I think that just because I think the potential in in what they've done is very, very high. Well, the interesting thing is like what they would do with Thornton if it doesn't work, like where you put him, where you move him. I guess you move him with Tavares. I don't know. Like anyway, like you're right. They're going to have to give it time because they don't have any preseason games. Like they they're just going to have to like go into that game against Montreal see how it looks, give it another few games, see how it looks and keep evaluating, keep moving things around. The um, uh, but the other thing too, Jonas, I think about, about Matthews and Marner is I think they both really want to play with each other, you know, and I guess as a coach, you kind of have to like weigh how much, how much does that matter? Like is, you know, if they did play well together, the question is just, are, are you maximizing your lineup by having them together? That's what I'm not sure about. And and you and I have discussed this, like, I think just like a million Slack messages. I think we kind of both feel like Tavares needs Marner more than Matthews does. And obviously the, the Neander-Matthews dynamic is something. I, I did find it interesting, like Keith brought up the point that having Thornton there, given where he situates himself, like below the goal line, is going to open up like different things for Matthews just because he's never had a passer 
play like that before. Like he's he's played with Marner, he's played with Neander. Those are both like A plus passers. But Thornton's like kind of a different creature. And I wonder <laughs> I wonder even if Marner gets more scoring opportunities. Like you look last year, it's like a thing every year that, that people talk about and he talks about like I'm gonna shoot more, I'm gonna try to score more, blah, blah, blah. And it it hasn't like he had twenty seven goals a couple years ago, I think, or twenty five. Uh, but last year he shot the puck way less. He scored less. Uh, and so you wonder if like adding Thornton in that spot opens up room in the offensive zone and gives him more opportunities to shoot. He just doesn't have a shot like Neander or Matthews or Tavares or whoever. Well, and Thornton hardly shoots at all too, right? So, like, yes. you know, so you, I don't know. It, you're, it, it's funny. I like that, that phrase. You called him a different, would you call him different creature? Yeah. You know, the thing that that coaches and and players who play with Thornton say is that you have to be kind of a smart, cerebral player to play with Thornton because he doesn't really play like anybody else. Like he's going to do things that are going to make, I think, Matthews and Marner go, huh, like I didn't I didn't see that coming or I didn't think he could make that pass or I didn't think he'd make that play or I didn't think he could control the puck that way. And it really reminds me of, and I and, and I know you've referenced this. It reminds me of the Yager playing with Huberdeau and Barkov in Florida. Yeah, how many years ago was that? Four years ago? Five years ago? Fifteen, sixteen season. And I, I think I, he played the next year with them too. I watched quite a few of their games. I'm pretty sure they made the playoffs that year, right? I remember watching their games and just keep just watching Yager. And uh, I was still at the Globe at that point, and I was writing Yager stories, so I would be watching him and just isolating him. And he would be moving so much slower than the other two guys. And he wouldn't be leading the the rush. He wouldn't be performing the zone entry, but he would be finding like kind of like the the sweet spot in the offensive zone and just making a really smart either pass or a shot. And he he piled up a whole bunch of points. What did what he? I haven't looked at this up. I mean, didn't he have like sixty some? He had like sixty some odd points. Yeah. I mean, it's not the exact same because Yager is much more of a shooter and a different kind of player than Thornton, but just in terms of like the cerebralness and obviously the experience and, 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 and just, and Yager like Thornton James, like is slow. Yeah. Yeah. At that point anyway. Yeah. So like if, I don't know, it, it'll be, like I said, I think that if it works, it'll look really interesting and it'll be hard for teams to handle. And, you know, I think it has a lot of, and it, you know, I was looking at the schedule. This is a, a little bit off topic, but I was looking at the schedule today and the Leafs don't actually have that many back-to-backs. You know, I was, do you know how many there are off the top of your head? No. I only counted like. Head. But the schedule is not as nuts as I thought it would. No, I only counted like four. Like in a, a normal year, like I think last year, didn't they have 18 or something like that? So like the schedule is more condensed. Like there are more games. Um, I think they play something like 3.4 games a week instead of 3.1. But um, I guess because they're playing in the same city, there's just there's just way fewer back-to-backs. I, again, I looked at the schedule like pretty quickly today, so I don't don't quote me on the four, but there were fewer than I was expecting. I thought there was going to be like a whole bun, a whole bunch, but there are not. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not going to drain the older players as much just because they're not going to be getting on a plane at you know, one o'clock in the morning and going to another city and playing the next day. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. James, like to that point, uh, the last point you made about the schedule and Thornton, I did start to wonder like after the first day or I guess the second day of camp, I don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) If like it would make more sense again, like to bring it back to Marner to have like just a guy like Hyman or even Mikheyev, like just someone who's going to be around the net and kind of bang in some ugly goals. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how this works. Like it's, it's so it's you would, you're, super, you're saying like Thornton Matthews Hyman or something like that. Yeah. Just because like hmm. you wonder like all, Matthews is going to be obviously the primary shooter on the line. And you wonder if having a guy who's just going to be around the net hmm. kind of cashing in on a lot of that stuff would hmm. make more sense. Yeah. That makes and, sense. And, again, and, then, like, and then Thornton, it gives Thornton two options, one at the net and then one, you know, kind of in the yes. slot, high slot where, where Matthews would be. Yeah, I yeah. could see that making sense. I could see that. Well, you're going to want that second line to perform too, right? So, yeah. But I wonder if they shelter that line. Like it, it sounds weird to shelter your 11 million dollar captain center, but you know, maybe VC Tavares Nylander, maybe they throw them out there against third lines and they just feast on them. I mean, like, how do you defend that, right? Like, if that's if that's if you're using your your number one defensive pair against the Matthews line, which you obviously are. Um, and then, you, you know, you're looking at that, that Neander unit as kind of like a secondary option and you're using your second and third pairs. Like that's, that's more difficult. So that's always been the advantage, obviously, of having Matthews and Tavares. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the defense, but first I want to get to, uh, what we heard from Kyle Dubas on the first day of camp. Were you surprised at all that, that he didn't more, definitively define what a, a successful season would look like. He did say that their goal is to perform better, better in the regular season to set themselves up for more success in the playoffs. But were you a little surprised that he wasn't more explicit in saying like, guys, like you can see what we see. We need to start making some ground in the playoffs. Mm, I think he knows it's a trap. And if you say something, Kyle Dubas is like, he's not like a Bolton board guy. Like he doesn't, he's not Brian Burke. You know, he doesn't go into no. these press conferences like, you know, this is the message I want to convey and, you know, going to have like, you know, you come out of his press conferences and it's like, boy, like what, what, what was the headline quote out of that? And it's, I don't know, <laughs> like you, you know, it's, he's not, it's, it's, he's, he's like more like Lou Lamorello than Brian Burke. I mean, he's, he's just, he's kind of in between them, isn't he? Yeah. When you think about it, but I would think closer to the Lou side, and sure. I say this to you sometimes. I think that sometimes Kyle Dubas sounds like he's a little bit like a lawyer, kind of the way that he talks around things, and you know he has these same turns of phrases. I think we all do as people, but he has the same turns of phrases that you hear over and over. Like he talks about rolling out of things and rolling through things, and there's a lot of rolling that goes on, and um, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me no, because I think if you come out with a bold proclamation like our season's a failure if we don't win a playoff round or whatever. Well, like what if you go into the first round of the playoffs and you got three guys hurt and the other team's goalie has a 980 save percentage or whatever, but you won the president's trophy and you had a really good year. Is like, is the year a failure then? I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's hockey's weird. Yeah. Lots of weird stuff can happen. Sure. And I, I think that what matters more than just, obviously they want to have playoff success, but I think they just want to see the team like, 
dig in a little bit more and like look a little bit more, have a bit more of a killer instinct because it's just been, they've had these long stretches of just really soft, underwhelming games and play. And like, they just, they don't feel like a team that really scares a lot of other teams, especially when you get up into the upper echelon of the league. And, you know, I don't think Tampa or Boston or, you know, last year, I don't think there were St. Louis. I don't think these teams are worried about playing the Leafs and they've got enough talent that other teams like that probably should be concerned about playing them. So, you know, a little bit more of a killer instinct and fewer games like, like, look at, remember that California road trip, like how bad that was. And they needed those yes. games. Like, it wasn't like those were meaningless games. Like they were, they were fighting. And if they would have won, if they would have got like three or four more points, they wouldn't have had to play Columbus. They would have played a crappier team and they probably would have moved ahead. And that's, that's what, what both Dubas and Keefe are talking about is that if we, if we play better in the regular season, then we set ourselves up better. And and the other thing too is if you play better in the regular season, you're a better team, you know? But if you just, yeah. if you kind of half-ass it in a bunch of your games, we, we were we were saying this three years ago, like you can't get to the playoffs and flip a switch. That's not how it works. Well, what's interesting about that is I don't think it's like a, um, like it, an intentional, let's just kind of coast through the regular season and then in the playoffs we'll kind of turn it on. But it is intentional, like how serious, I guess, you, you you take the regular season. Like if you come into the regular season, you treat, you really like think like this is where we're forming habits. And if we form the right habits during the regular season, it's just going to carry into the playoffs. The Leafs and kind yet, of, yeah, go ahead. But in yet, James, like, James, I called you James. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, it's better okay, than some of the things James. I get called. Okay, James. If you look at like the, the the last couple years, or even let's scrap last year, but the two years before that, they were like a hair away from beating Boston, obviously, like not much, and that was with flipping a switch. And even against Columbus, like that was the way that they played defensively was different than generally mm-hmm. they played during the regular season. Like, what's so interesting and what must be so aggravating for for management and for the coaches is they've been so close to winning anyway, like to, to to making ground anyway while flipping a switch or trying to flip a switch when the playoffs start. Right. If you just had that mentality during the regular season, like you said, you'd play diff- you'd play worse teams in the playoffs, but like it would just become more ingrained in you that you don't have to flip a switch and completely change the way you play. Well, that's hockey too though, right? Like you're not always going to get the breaks and like you you need to make the advantage more overwhelming and like Yes, they played well defensively against Columbus, but like fuck, like Columbus was what? What were they? They were like twenty ninth in goals or something yeah, like that. Like they, they had did, nothing. They had they they had hardly any offense. Like Dubois, like the, the guy like Columbus are a good team. They work their asses off. Tortorella's a good coach, et cetera, et cetera. But you know the yeah. Leafs Leafs got shut down by two goalies that are you know unproven and and relatively mediocre. They didn't. They just like that game. They're up three nothing. They got to win that game. You know they they they. Yeah. They, they, there should have been some games in that series where they, they are up three nothing and they hold that three nothing lead and that they win the game three nothing, but they just they made it too close. And what I was going to say when you were talking, I interrupted you. Um, was the Leafs kind of feel like the, the like the the smartest kid in the class or one of the smartest kids in the class? And it's just easy. It's easy for yes. them. It's easy for them to go into a test without preparing because they know they're going to get a ninety three or whatever. 
But if they prepared, they would get like a 97. And the Leafs are just like, well, I don't need a 97 in the regular season. I just need a 90. Like a 93 is fine. Like we're going to get lots of goals. And I don't even, but, but James, like to your to that point, I don't even think it's intentional. Like I don't think it's, I think it's just like finding in yourself like another, like I hate to say like another gear, but like just in terms of like how you're approaching it and how you're looking at that Tuesday night game against whoever and saying like, this matters. Like this is, this is really important. This is, we're setting ourselves up. Like it's, I don't know. Like I do think some of it is just youth and being young and maybe a little naive and just, I I don't know. Like I imagine we, they, they're different people and players now than they were two years ago or even last year. I think too, Jonas, sometimes when things don't go their way, they're, they're not an inspiring team always. Like if, you know, if 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 they don't have Riley for a stretch, or if they, you know, they you know they lose some guys, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're out there and you're playing with Mulgan or whatever. Like, I mean, like some guys on other teams, it that that stuff doesn't matter. I mean, we've seen teams in the NHL, good teams that have had lots of run runs of injury, and it's like, how the hell does this team keep winning when they've got like Gerard Depardieu as their fifth defenseman or whatever? Like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like I don't know why I said that, but like. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, it's just some teams can find a way. And the Leafs, it seems like when they hit adversity, like they did, you know, towards the end of last year where they had four or five guys hurt. It's just like, well, I guess it's not going to happen for us right now. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, someone you look at someone like Neander, and obviously, like, I I believe, I like, I believe in the talent 100%. But, like, there is, like, you want a little bit more, like, second effort. And, like, when you see him giving second effort – and you see him fighting to get the puck back. He's awesome. There's, but when he's just a little more lackadaisical. There's, there's a large portion of our audience that does not want to hear the the Nylander criticism. Yeah, so. but, <laughs> but I don't think that's true. I, James, I think like even the people like me who are fans of how he plays, like you have to acknowledge reality. Like There are times when he's just a little lackadaisical. Well, I'll say and this. If he just had a little bit less of that, a little bit more like giver throughout the regular season – they would be better and he would be better. And that's kind of like a team-wide thing, I think. For the people who are going to go in the comments and go on Twitter and send me messages and say, why are you guys always ragging on Nylander? This is how the, the people in the organization feel about Nylander. This is how some of the other players feel. This is how some of the, the management, coaches, whatever. Like this is, you know, they think there's more there. That's all we're saying. We're not, we're like, you and I both think Nylander's a great player. When people were saying he was overpaid and, he shouldn't have got that contract and they should trade him for a defenseman or whatever. We never said any of that stuff. We never, we no, didn't write that they should trade him. No, we, we've, we don't believe any of that. But what we're talking about is how do you get this good Leafs team to be great? That's what we're talking about on this podcast all the time. It's a lot different than when we started this podcast in 2012. We were talking about how do we make this pile of crap into something that's like slightly better and slowly finds a way out of this. Now we're talking about a team it's definitely a top 10 team in the NHL. Maybe, I mean, they're probably, I don't know. Where would you put them? Top six, top seven. Yeah. You know, they're one of the better teams in the league, but they're not the best team. And we're talking about how do they catch up to the Tampas and Colorados. And this is part of the way. I think part of the way is what they did in the off season. Like, I think they had a pretty good off season. I think they're better. I like their blue line a lot better than last year. There's no more Cody CC. There's no more Tyson Berry. They got guys that actually fit what they need in the positions that they need, which they didn't have last year. Um, 
I think this is a better team than last year. And I think last year it was it was a good team that didn't play well and that ran into adversity and didn't handle it very well. Yes. Well, and part of it, James, like to your point, is if they can get 5% more from Neander and 5% more from Marner and Matthews continues his ascent, like it's hard to quibble with anything he did last year. Like suddenly, like you're just, and you and you compile all those pieces from the offseason and some of them work and Brody stabilizes the the pairing with Riley and Anderson plays better suddenly like it's exactly what you're talking about you're talking about one of the three or four or five best teams in the league and a team that should be challenging for a cup like they're in cup mode like every year that they don't win a cup is a failure like there there's only so many like they've got Matthews and, and Neander under contract for four more years that sounds like a lot it 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 gets short real quick um, and obviously they can resign those guys and lots of things can happen. Um, but it's just a point of like, they can't take anything for granted. And I thought, you know, in your story, it was interesting, like just looking at the age of the group, <laughs> it's older than like you think it is. It surprised like, me. We were so used to thinking of this team as young and naive and whatever. And they're just not that anymore. Like Travis Dermott, and we're going to talk about the D. They're actually one of the oldest minutes. teams in the league now, Jonas. I think they're the yeah, second well, like, oldest look, behind Washington. Well, and, and you had Dermot's like one of their younger players, and he's now looking on the outside. Like he now has to well, really fight for 24. his spot. Twenty-four. When is he? Twenty-five in the next year, I guess. He like, just turned twenty-four. Okay. In December. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So James Miko Letnin starts on the third pair with Zach Bogosian. That makes a fourth pair of Rasmus Sandin and Travis Dermot. Um. One of the things that we discussed in the offseason, like before they signed Bogosian, before I think they did anything, was whether it made sense to add one or two defensemen. Mm-hmm. And I think we were kind of on the fence about it, maybe even on the side of they should just get one guy to play with Riley. You don't want to bring in some kind of bruiser to take away Dermott's minutes. I did feel like they needed a little bit more bite. Um, so I get the Bogosian thing. But if if there's a world where Zach Bogosian's playing more games than... Dermot, do you think the Leafs are better? The thing with Bogosian is if you look at the data on him, he's very, very good on the penalty kill. Like he's, mm-hmm. it's almost like they, they're they different players for sure, but it's almost like the reason Marincin keeps getting games is because he's such a good penalty killer, but he can't, he's not good enough the rest of the game. Like he played whatever, whatever he would, he played 26 games or something last year when they ran yeah, out of injuries. Yeah, think? Um, Bogosian, I think they're going to use as a specialist. I think he's going to kill a lot of penalties. He's, you know, I think he's going to play the third pair and he's going to play, you know, three and a half, four minutes a game or whatever, you know, however many penalties they take a game. Uh, and he's going to be really, really good there. And they want that PK to go from, I mean, I think it, I think they finished, well, they finished league average last year, I want to say. Yeah. And they were even better than that under Keefe. They want to have one of the best penalty kills in the league. They want to have one of the best power plays in the league. They want to, you know, do a lot of different things. So if Bogosian plays a lot, it's probably going to be 12 minutes a game at even strength and four minutes a game on the penalty kill. And he's a third pair guy. And, you know, I think you saw with, with Tampa last year, that's, that's kind of where he thrives. And if you take him out of the lineup, you don't have as many guys that you love on the penalty kill. You know, Muzzin, Muzzin's good, obviously, but... Um, yeah, but you're st- you'd still be okay. You'd, you'd have Muzzin, you'd have Brody, you'd have Hall, you'd have Dermot. Right, right. But I, but I guess the, the point is, like, I, I think you're you're right that his skill set is different, and 
is different. Like it's just different from everything else they have. Like Muzzin is is similar in certain respects, but he's a better player. But like, what does it mean if if suddenly like Travis Dermott's barely playing? You know what though? Like um, I, I was thinking about this today, and like I think we're overthinking it with like the guys that are the thirteenth forward or the seventh defenseman because last year they had times where they had they had two defensemen out for long stretches, and they had three true. defensemen out for a stretch, and like the amount that Dermott or Lettinen or Bogosian plays is directly influenced by how many injuries they have. If they have no injuries, then yeah, and Dermot never plays like that. That sucks. Like that's, that's not ideal, but if nobody ever gets hurt, I think what they need is a rotation and Lettinen comes out at times and, and Lettinen and Dermot maybe switch off once in a while. And, but yeah. what, what team has no injuries for the whole year? Like I know the Leafs did it two or three years ago, but it's very, very unusual. You know, the average NHL team has, well over a hundred man games lost a year. So you almost always have someone out of the lineup. And I think that with the way the taxi squad's going to work, it's going to be very easy for the Leafs to just kind of push guys in and out over and over again. And that, that, that's the, I don't know. That's where I'm at on that right now. It's a, that James, like, that's a really good point. It's a really good point. And one of the things like I asked Keith, uh, in the call on Monday, um, about what he told guys like, or what his message was to guys like Robertson and Engvall in the second group. Those are the forwards. And he said, well, you know, we're going to need you. And I went and looked, they had, they played 22 forwards last year. And so to your point, I think they played 10 defensemen or 10 or 11. Um, So like they are going to need those guys and the counter to my point, which I should have made somewhere before is the development time like is over? Like as much as like you really want to see Travis Dermott, you want to find out like if he can play in your top four before you potentially have to expose them to expansion. They're trying to win. Like they they can't be. They just need to play the best guys. And if he's not one of the best guys, like tough. Like it, it, what can you do? Yeah. No. I mean, so the Leafs did the right thing in adding more depth. And then if you do run into injuries, you, you use it. And if you don't run into injuries, maybe you got assets that you can trade. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. you can move one. Maybe if, like, let's say Sandine looks unbelievable and, and I don't, okay. Like let's, let's do a dream scenario. Um, not dream scenario in that it's good, but just a dream, like a scenario that could play out. Let's say two good defensemen get hurt. Sandine comes into the lineup. He plays a lot. He looks really, really good. And then when guys get healthy, you're like, we want to keep Sandine in the lineup. So let's trade one of our other defensemen. Let's get an asset or let's open up cap space or let's do something. Um, you just have more flexibility when you have more options. And what happened to the Leafs last year where they didn't have flexibility because they didn't have more options and they didn't have enough depth. And then when they ran into injuries, it was like kind of like, well, these are the guys we got. And Marincin's playing, you know, a lot of minutes and Tyson Berry's not playing well, but we still got to play him. And yeah, you know there was a stretch where Hall Hall was on the top pair, or Hall was playing with Marincin, or like there were just guys playing too high in the lineup. And if you have to choose between like is Dermot not going to play enough games, or do we want to have insurance? I choose the insurance because like this is not this is not a let's do what's right for Dermot year. You're right, like it's it's a let's do whatever we can to win a Stanley Cup. That's what that's what this is about. Yeah, well, and and I as you were talking, I was looking up. Um, that stretch when Riley gets hurt not long after they lose Muzzin. And this is their defense. Dermot Hall, Marincin Berry, Sandine Cece. It was bad. It was bad. And that that's when they started losing those games under Keefe. Like, remember they had the, the crazy hot start under Keefe. 
And if you analyze the lineup based on what their record was and who was healthy and who wasn't, I mean, a big part of, you know, and that's when the goaltending starts going sideways and, you know, there was, all those things are related. You know, they didn't, they started, it wasn't, I'm trying to think, do you remember who was in the lineup for the the Zamboni goalie game? Like, wasn't their D like really beat up at that point? I have it. That was Feb 2-2, I think. Yes. Yeah, their D that, oh, geez. Their D that, well, they had Muzzin and Hall. Sandine Barry was their second pair. Dermot Marinchin was the third pair. Yeah, like Dennis Malgan playing on the second line with Tavares and Neander. Right. I mean, they had some forward injuries too. Keith said it today is that I I barely had Mikheyev and Andreas Janssen last year, and that was supposed to be, you know, two other yeah. top nine forwards that were going to give them some depth. And then they ran into the, you know, remember we were doing stories in midseason last year about the third line, and like it was just like it couldn't do anything. Like it was generating, wasn't it? Like Engvall, Kerfoot, and uh, Kapanen, I think Kapanen. maybe, and they just like they couldn't, yeah. they just weren't producing. So, man, James, there's like a game. Jeez, I totally forgot this. February 18, the third line was Engvall, Gauthier, and Kapanen. Like, wow. So, I get that people are saying, like, well, what if Nick Robertson doesn't play? And what if Engvall doesn't play? And what if, uh, who else? I don't know. Barabanov came over from the KHL. And what if he doesn't play? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, there are going to be injuries. Like, there's always someone that gets hurt. If they go with a full yeah. healthy roster for like five or ten games, then and the guys get a bit restless, then you know what? So what? Like he's right. I mean, they're they're gonna need them. They're gonna have to use those guys. And all they can do is get into the lineup and play really well and potentially stay there. Well, speaking of those guys, um, so I mentioned that Robertson, Angval, Travis Boyd, Joey Anderson, they're all in the second group. It's gonna be really hard to to kind of get out of that group. It's not impossible. Um, you, you go back to the bubble, uh, Nick Robertson started with Igor Korshkov and Nick Batan. uh, Engvall didn't play well and he moved up. So like, it's not impossible. Well, um, just to interrupt you, the other thing that we yeah, have not talked sure. about that I haven't heard enough to people talk about is like, look at what's happening in the NFL with coronavirus. I mean, like the whole point of the taxi squad of having six guys on there is if the virus goes through the lineup and all these guys, if you get a positive test or you get four positive tests, you know, you could be in Vancouver for a two or a three game uh, a road stand and all those guys that have been sitting on the taxi squad all play. I mean, we don't know. I know when we had the bubbles going that, that no no one tested positive, but they're not the players are not going to be in a strict bubble the way, the way they were for the playoffs. It's going to be a lot different. They're going to be out interacting in the world. So, I mean, not not uh, more than we are, you know, but. So, I mean, who knows, Jonas? I mean, maybe maybe you're going to need those guys just because of the way the world is right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, and, and even before then, like, not because of um, COVID, but just because, like, maybe maybe Barabanov looks a little, like, just like he's not ready. Maybe he looks great. Um, maybe Robertson, like, plays so well in those practices and they're going to have a couple scrimmages. Maybe he just looks great and looks like, you know, they, they got to find a spot for him. My my prediction is that Barabanov is going to surprise some people. That's that's I've talked to some people in Russia and people seem to really like him as kind of like an energy guy. And that's that's how they're going to use him. So, well, and and for a guy like that, it's it's easy, not easier, but it's it's it is easier to just yeah. come in and just provide energy, be physical, play hard. I don't know if Leo Komarov you know I mean? is a good example, but people just say he's he's shifty. He's hard on the puck. He's you know, he's a, he's a digger and. 
I don't know. I think that, you know, if he's a poor man's Zach Hyman or whatever that plays on your fourth line, I know he hasn't produced a lot of offense in the KHL, but guys like that in the KHL, they don't often get to play with good scorers. So they don't often get to play in an offensive role. So that's why they don't have offense. So I just know people who have, have played in the NHL and know the NHL well say they think that he can play in the NHL. Okay. One more thing before we go. Um, unless we there's did, actually. We did the forwards and we did the goalies. Or we did the defense, but we didn't do the goalies. We didn't talk about the fourth line at all, although I just got I got my Barabanov tidbit out there. So Well, you, okay, let me, so, I was, so I, I, can yeah, I ask go you ahead. something? Do you yeah, think you that do um, you, you, I'm, I'm sure you saw my piece about the taxi squad and how it's gonna work. Do you think they yeah. should think about um putting Spezza on the taxi squad at times just so that they can get him so he's not playing every game? Um in order to do so, they would have to put him on waivers. Do you think that that might be something they think about doing? I guess like that's the only real um, hurdle is like they've he's made it clear like that he he made it clear in the offseason like he was either playing for the Leafs or he was retiring. So I guess you'd have to be really sure that he's going to get through waivers Um, because like what I mean, what happens if you put him on waivers and he gets claimed by whoever, you know, like not that he's like some huge lost to your team while well, like he is a loss to your team but like personally do you know what i mean i wonder if they talked to him about that i wonder remember there was the delay in getting him signed and there was like i wonder if they said we can't guarantee you're on the nhl roster like we just we can't like we're happy to have you and i don't know but like from a cap perspective and from a lineup perspective you would rather not have spezza on the roster every single day of the season Right? Yes. Like, but you've you've talked about like using a twenty man roster. Could you not go twenty one? Well, but then then you're you basically cut in half or more the amount of cap space that you're accruing, right? So they they can they they can go twenty one. But so, so like, what would you rather do? Would you rather have not waived Jason Spezza, or would you rather have six and a half million dollars at the trade deadline to acquire a player? Obviously, you'd rather have the the cap space. So like, that's the. That's so the difference between carrying a 20 man roster and a 21 man roster is probably the difference between like having 3.2 million at the trade deadline and having 6.4. It's something like that if they're healthy. I mean, so it's significant. It's it's a lot. I mean, it, you could add, they could add if, if they're relatively healthy and they carry a 20 man roster all year, they can add a really good player at the trade deadline. I, I, I guess you wait and see. I guess you, you, you see where you're at. In January, you see how Spets is playing. Like, like you mentioned, yep. there's not that many back to backs, so that's less of a, a a thing. I mean, maybe you wave him and like, I don't know. I mean, he could say to teams around the league, "If you claim me, I'm I'm not playing for you." So there's no yep. there ain't no point. In, there's no point in claiming me. Well, and like, let's be honest. Like, he's a 37 year old in the twilight of his career. Like, how, I'm I'm not sure how many teams are like clamoring for that guy as good of a guy as he appears to be. Um, but it's an interesting question that they're going to have to answer at some point as to how they kind of like they're not going to be able to give nights off if if you're going to go full in on building cap space, right? No, no. Right. I mean, they're not going to be able to give. No, but I wonder if what they do is they have a 21 man roster, just like a couple of, maybe yeah. you do it like two days a month and those are for games and Spezza or Thornton sit out a game. Maybe you that just do it. A, 
Maybe do it a couple of times because each time you do that, it's going to cost you. What did I say in my story? 8,000 bucks a day, I think to, to bring like a Lettinen or a Barabanov onto the roster. So maybe it costs you, costs you an extra eight grand twice a month. So 16, how many months are in the season? Four and a half. Mm-hmm. Do the math. Maybe it costs you a hundred grand to do that. That's that's probably what happens. That makes sense. Good. We've solved it. We should. We, we should did it. Get to work Prit, more. Pritam, like if this. you're listening, then you'll you got to buy me a beer at some point. You're welcome. <laughs> I, so I, I don't, don't really want to. Sorry. I don't think he listens to this. No, you never know. Um, I don't really want to talk about the goalies today. If you want to, we can. I, was I wanted joking. to. Okay. Um, I just wanted to talk to you about the power play. Um, now that Thornton's playing with Matthews and Marner, I always thought it would make sense to play him on their first power play unit, but I thought it made sense to break up the two units and have two really good units. What do you think? Like, do you think this indicates anything that they might consider using him there? We might find out on Tuesday. So while you're listening to this, this may not be a thing. Um, but what do you think they'll do with the power play? I think Thornton will be on the top unit. Okay. I, I, I so think then the, the question is, who comes off? No. Because, like, do you take Neander off? Could they do, do five forwards? Play goals? Could they do five forwards? Yeah. Didn't the Marlies? I think the Marlies tried five forwards a couple of times. I I, I guess you could. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, don't know that it's wise. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that it? it could cost you at the other end. Um. I don't know who comes off. Nylander, I guess, but Nylander I liked on the Nylander had nine year. power play goals last year, yeah. I believe. Well, getting him down low, he played he played great. I mean, his, you know, his his hands are so good that See, that's the case for having two units. That's why I think it makes sense. Like you have Matthews, Marner, Thornton on one unit or Matthews Marn or Matthews, Thornton, Nylander, and then you put Tavares and Marner and someone else on the second unit. Like I just think you could build two awesome units. As opposed to having kind of a wasteland second unit. But anyway. The only problem with that is that last year the second unit, like it didn't really play that much, right? So But that's by choice. They don't have to do that. Right. Anyway. I just I mean they, they had the, didn't they have the best power play in the league under Keefe? I'm pretty sure they did. Twenty six something percent. Second. But under like Keefe? all the like I don't mean for yeah. the year, I mean just on no, Keefe Keefe was coach. Was, I believe it was second to Edmonton. To Edmonton, yeah. Again, in the playoffs, it was not good. And in the second half, it wasn't that great. And all the underlying numbers were kind of meh. Now you can kind of pick apart what those underlying numbers mean when Matthews is shooting from... There's a new rule on the podcast. Don't use expected goals for the power play. Right. We will have we got to have Dom on here one time. He can't explain why. Well, I can, I can explain to you why. Matthews shooting is not a good expected goal, but that's not the same. Matthews shooting well, is it, different from 90% no, of... The, the the thing like expected goals are largely looking at shot location and they're not right. looking at they're not looking at puck movement and like if you think about a power play it's all about puck movement right it's like where we we need the 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 puck but tracking. it's also the shooters James like Matthews is shooting from far mm. out and well, Matthews could, is yeah you could theoretically create an expected goal stat that factored in who the shooter was like they should but anyway. So. I don't know if that we've forget about expected like, goals, public... James. By the playoffs, their power play was not good, so you don't need the underlying numbers to. Well, part of that. it, Columbus is a very, very good PK team, so they got to be prepared to to be a good power play team, not just against like 
Actually, one of the things I saw, someone had a stat about teams' rec- records against the best eight teams in the NHL, and the Leafs' record against the best eight teams in the NHL last year wasn't very good. Well, that goes back to everything we were talking about before. It sure does. We wrapped it all up. That was a perfect end to the podcast. Yep. Now we must right. stop talking. I have some things to say. Uh, we hired Ian Mendez in Ottawa. He's going to be launching a new uh, hockey podcast for us next week that's going to be a national hockey podcast it's going to be fantastic i'm super excited about it he's going to have you know sean mcindoe on there um you know pierre lebron's going to do some things it's and they're going to what what ian mendez is going to do on the podcast is kind of utilize the talent of all of our hockey writers we got 40 some hockey writers in the company now so sometimes you know jonas you might be on the show if if something big's happening with the leaves i i think it's going to be really great so i'm pretty excited about it I love Ian. He's awesome. He's he's just like a wonderful human being, but he's also a very very talented. And I I'm, I'm talking to him today. He's so excited, and we're excited to have him. So it's it's going to be neat. Neat, nice <laughs> word. That's a, that's a Jonas word. Do you know what else is neat? That John Carlson was on the Two Man Advantage podcast with Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBrun. Uh, so check that out we didn't have john carlson on our podcast it was just uh me sitting in a closet in my basement and 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 you that's all it was you've done a great job um if you're not a subscriber to the athletic and you want to check out what james is writing what pierre lebrun's writing what i'm writing josh cloak craig custins go to theathletic.com slash leaf report and receives a subscription receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. James, we will continue to monitor what goes on at training camp from afar, and we will connect next week, early next week, I believe. Yep. Yep. All right. We we're gonna know the we're gonna know the team and the taxi squad and all that stuff. So there's gonna be lots to talk about in the next. I mean, what do we got here? We got like eight days left, and there's gonna be actual hockey and. Hopefully you and I are in uh, Scotiabank Arena watching, uh, I think they play Ottawa, right? Or Montreal? Montreal. Mm, Montreal. Should be good. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our amazing producer, Punch. Goodbye, James. Goodbye.